Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and every episode I'm going to be uh, leading you like a Pied Piper into the magic mountain of words, editing and using good verbs and no one this time will be left behind. Um, each week it's not, sometimes it's me, sometimes I've got a guest. Today I do have a guest, uh, author screenwriter and erstwhile MC, Nikesh Shukla, how are you? Is that all right as a description? Of... It's three things. Uh, you left out Dreamweaver. Dream... <laughs> That's the business card, yeah. the ultimate goal to have on your business card is Dreamweaver. I, I think that's. I think I've stolen that from the intro of Garth Marenghi's Dark Places, where he, I'm Garth Marenghi, author, Dreamweaver. That's uh, my favourite ever one here did for that was he described a uh, his book as um, about an allegorical war with the Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely read that. Um, so we're going to be looking at a um, an author's uh, first page that they've sent in. If you're listening to this now, um, or you, I mean, you are. This is stupid hypothetical, but um, wait, wait to the end, and I can give you some information about how you could submit your own piece. But I thought maybe we'd just like jump. Straight in, uh, I'll read out this. The first, the piece we're going to look at is um, untitled, and it's by. You should get. You should give your novel a title. Give, is that it? That's the first. I well, mean, only D'Angelo can call a song untitled. Really, <laughs> but you, in brackets, how do you? How does it feel? I I think. But do you? Okay, so but do you? <laughs> no, I, I. But one thing I'd say is, do you think? How early do you? This is. I mean, I know this is a little bit of a. A bit of a one-on-one question, but it is the kind of thing people ask: is how early do you title a novel? Do you do like are you want? Do you get the title and then go right? I'm gonna. I know this straight away, or is it one of the last? Because for me, it's like the last thing, and it is like a painful. It's ho- like it's a horrible thing that I'm just like all I want to do is lowball the title so I don't make was, it absolutely excruciating. Was the the honors? Was that? Did that come quite late in the game? Or was Super that... late. So like Coconut Unlimited, I knew was going to be called Coconut Unlimited from the get go because it was a band, by about a band called Coconut Unlimited, and that that it just felt very natural. Meat Space was first called the Boy with the Bowtie Tattoo as like a little nod at the girl's really, dragon tattoo. That is a funny <clears throat> but uh, my agent was like, well, you know, that's not the A plot of this. That people find it confusing. Then it was called Scrolling for a while because uh, it's all about social media, and then. Um, it was then called Untitled, and then he sent me a quote about Meat Space, about the, someone using the word Meat Space, and um, that. And I was like, "Well, that's the title of the book." And it, like, it became one of those things where you say, like, we were neither of us were massively convinced when we I first said, "Well, I'll call it Meat Space," but like, the more I said it, the more it started to fit. And it like it was the same same thing with my kid. Like we had all these names for my kid. I was just about to say because I'm in this situation where I've got got a child on the way, and you're just like, one day there's going to be a name like stuck to that, and yeah. it's going to be really meaningful. But at the moment, I don't have one. Well, none of the the top three names for our kid because we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl, so we had a, a list for both, and um, like none of the names for the for the girl names we had fit fitted her when we were actually looking at her. And actually, one of the names that was on the boy list fit her more, and it became one of those things where the more we said it, the more it felt like it could only have been that name. That's so interesting because my friend of mine just had had a kid and said that they had, when the when the when their child sort of 
turned up. I mean, I know, I know that there's a process that when happens. Came, I'm not, came, I've done my research. When he came round. Yeah. Um, they, they ended up, they had, yeah, that they had a, a, a short list of names and then looked at her and go, oh, you don't, you don't look like... It's so funny that you'd like look at someone and go, oh, you don't really look like a... But you know what's weird? Like you'll look at those early day ba- baby photos and you'll look at your kids like when they're one or two and you'll go, you don't look like that, but like that little hairless mole in <laughs> So yeah, it's, it's funny. The whole thing's funny. So, But I'm, I'm hoping Untitled is intentionally untitled. <laughs> yeah, I think I think sometimes when people send these, um, they've not, uh, even though I'm like, have your novel finished? Because uh, I don't think you're... I think you're kind of not uh, qualified to write your first page, probably until you've written your last one, right? Like, I mean, I know you've got to, but you don't. You've got, yeah. You come back and rewrite it at the end going, this is silly now. This character doesn't speak like this anymore. But having, having, like, having sifted for like a bunch of prizes, like short, creative writing prizes for, like, for young people and for like first time, Writers as well, the one thing that you can tell time and time again when people aren't massively confident is they will start in the wrong place and actually they'll start like two or three paragraphs before they actually need to start. Um, Yeah, like the number that start with somebody uh, waking up and the red digits of the alarm clock or something like that. And and I've written that starting. That's not me being sort of, that's not me being like wounding or mean, but like, it, it, it's so it's so wonderful to just be allowed to I do an exercise with authors actually when I'm when I'm teaching adults where I'll get them to make up a title of the novel a novel make up a genre make up a little blurb and then just start writing from what they imagine is the the climax yeah. of the book like the key scene this final confrontation and it's so funny how so many of them end up sounding like really fucking wicked openings to stories do you yeah. know what i mean well i think i think it's because and both both my novels start with someone waking up interestingly so, <laughs> yeah. but i think but i owned it because i knew that 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 was a that was a trope um but i think what tends to happen is like if you go if you read a lot of creative writing tips and they they tell you to to set up like a typical day for your main character because we're about to introduce an agent of chaos on page 12 or whatever so like what happens on a typical day? Well, you wake up, you eat your breakfast, you go to work, it was fine, or oh, your job's a bit boring. So like, it just feels, it feels like um, they're just sort of trotting through what, what constitutes a typical day what, without actually doing the artful thing of finding what's interesting about, like why that typical day is so typical. And I guess that's actually not a bad exercise to go through as an author, but then the reader might not need it, you know, because you get to that moment. I mean, anything, any piece of, again, like when writers have spoken to me, the number of authors who are kind of working on something and have said, oh, I did this, but then someone said you should never do this. Like you should never start with a character waking up and these nevers and, and shoulds and all that kind of thing. And I think you can completely paralyze yourself and make it impossible to do any writing right yeah, you, you can basically break every rule as long as you're confident about it i think yeah i think that and, and i mean there's there's a little part of me in my head because i can hear and this is my own neurosis like the editor in my head going don't tell them that tim you don't know the damage they'll they'll wreak but actually no you're right it's about it's about confidence and it's just about being it's about being awake to what you're doing right i think you can do almost anything as long as you're awake to the effect it has on the writing and i think with with exactly that as long as you're looking at it and going i know you know i've actually just written a bit myself where basically a, a character gets bumped off after more or less saying the equivalent of 
I've got two days to retirement. <laughs> and I was so, I'm so aware of that. Um, Riggs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But you have to, and it's like, well, yeah, but there's a reason that a lot of these things become tropes. And it's actually because they're often really effective. It's really effective to see a character waking up, especially if you're going to have them suddenly bumped out of their routine and they're a bit bored with their life and they want something to change and they're kind of aching for that. Seeing how they handle that, it's just, like you say, it's about, it's about, an awareness yeah, and of I, that. I think, I think uh, I know this is a film, but I think Shaun of the Dead owns that typical opening stasis very well by like using it to pastiche zombie films by like having him being a zombie in his everyday life, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's and that really... feels confident and it feels like it's doing something new with that idea. It feels like you're... And it feels actually that when you do that, when you hang a, a lampshade on those kind of things and you nod to the audience, actually... It feels quite flattering as a reader or as a viewer because you feel like they're going, hey, we've seen that we watch the same things as you. We like the same things as you. We read too. Yeah. We know what exists in the world, especially like, especially with a zombie movie, anything like that where actually it's very difficult to have characters be genre aware. You know, let's say you watch The Walking Dead and you're just waiting for someone to go, is it strange these remind you of zombies <laughs> but no one can say that because then it it's very difficult to do that without it turning into Buffy which is a great which is I enjoy Buffy as well but then it's kind of like oh, are our characters genre aware or not and that can happen in literary fiction it can happen in anything where you have to make that decision and how much you're nodding to the audience um, in any case I will Untitled by Camille on a cloud overlooking, in, in fact, and we, that talk about kind of getting into genre tropes uh, very has brought us around very nicely, and I've ruined it by flagging it up in a way, going, oh, that was a nice segue. Uh, never mind. On a cloud overlooking Seattle, Malachi the Avenging Angel smoked a cigarette in peace. The lights below twinkled patterns. Cars with their headlights blaring struck across the I-90 like shooting stars. Malachi chuckled. In God's infinite wisdom, he taught his children to ape the majesty of his host. What a pretentious asshole. Malachi had with him a patio sling lawn chair he'd stolen from a Walmart. The wind pulled at Malachi's long, wavy mohawk and clinked the buttons on his bomber jacket. It was perfect, except Malachi could faintly hear distant hymns and the twang of angelic harps. The chorus was constant up in heaven. He heard the shuffling of feet behind him and turned to see uh, Marowell, the compliant. Marowell was short for an angel. His voice was high-pitched and reedy, which disqualified him from the angelic chorus. He'd never had much of a handle on wielding divine wrath. The fires of creation in his hands were more the warmish embers of impotence. His total lack of skill relegated him to the position of God's messenger, which meant Malachi only saw him when God wanted something. Where have you been? shrilled Marowell, walking around to look his target in the face. We've been looking all over for you. Marowell glared at the space above Malachi's head. Where's your halo? Malachi took another drag on his cigarette. I tossed it into a crater on Ganymede. Why? Is it harder for the Almighty's hunting dogs to track me if I haven't got it on? Marowell began to hyperventilate. God has an important message for you. Tell him I said no. <laughs> so, what do you what, what do you think? <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a good, like gritty tell him I said no <laughs> yeah I have to apologise immediately for whenever I do I do the flattest dialogue reads ever um it's yeah um we can start we can begin at the beginning if you want like uh so because we, we got a sense of like that obviously the genre is quite 
gear, but the opening line is, on a cloud overlooking Seattle, Malachi, the avenging angel, smoked a cigarette in peace. As an opening line, what do we think? I really, I really like sentences that um, get you to fill in the blanks. Like I don't, I don't really like over, overly descriptive stuff, and I like sentences where, like, in between each word, there's there's a whole other story or there's a whole other su- subplot happening. So, like, I want to know why he, why he, he's overlooking Seattle particularly. Uh, you know, I want to know why he's smoking a cigarette in peace. I mean, he's an avenging angel. He's probably pissed off all the time. But I imagine that people, like, avenging angels would smoke cigarettes a- it, angrily or, like, to make a point. But he's just smoking a, c- a cigarette to, to, to have a nice little calm down. So, like, I'm, I'm in. I'm yeah, intrigued. I, I'm really glad you said Seattle particularly because I think that is... It's funny how, like, a really uh, a bang on about crunchy specificity all the time, but that idea that it's much more interesting to say Seattle than on a cloud overlooking the city. Yeah. Like, I'm because it, it weirdly makes it more believable. Yeah. You know, that it, there's something about, like, I believe that Seattle exists, right? Well, you, you want to quit, you want to establish in, like, in as concise a way as possible the, the rules of your universe the yeah. parameters of your universe and like if we know that it, it like if we're to believe that this is sort of a hyper reality like a world that already exists with a hyper reality on top of it then ha- se- setting it in Seattle rather than a nameless city that just is New York like yeah, 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 New York yeah, yeah. then yeah I, I, I can like I have my image in, uh, the image in my head of what Seattle looks like I can kind of see it from like grungy reality bites my memories of reality bites or whatever like it feels more tangible it feels much more I enjoyed watching um, on Steven Universe recently the cartoon um, they just like had him fly across um, their version of America and he goes to like Empire City uh, which has got a Statue of Liberty and stuff like that but then next to it is just New Jersey <laughs> which have a, everywhere else has like a kind of like in-universe kind of like generic name except New Jersey which was just still New Jersey I thought that was a nice touch um yeah I really I really I really like how so I'm gonna so my only my only grumble I guess is this idea of yeah he smoked he's smoking a cigarette and it that is quite uh, uh, the telling us that this genre is urban fantasy that is that is wearing its heart not just its heart on its sleeve but its lungs on its sleeve his pancreas is hanging off its sleeve. I think, because you you laughed at the ending where you said to him, I said no. And um, I mean, is it? Does it come under the realms of kind of like fair pastiche, or is this is this too much? Because I was just like, that seems to me to be like the number one thing of of gritty urban fantasy is like, here's an angel, but whoa, oh, he's smoking a cigarette, a thing of the earth, or Here's a wizard, but look, he's having a having a scotch in a bar. Can you believe it? Is this real? I, I, I mean, I, I'm not, and I am, I am being, I am being, a, I am being a cynic about it. But I just wonder whether that beat is a little bit hackneyed. Well, it, it kind of like uh, the the sort of the crossover of urban fantasy and sort of gritty noir mm. is is quite interesting, and I think I think it's sort of trying to mesh those two things together. Um, I, I'm guessing it's just a signifier for the fact that this guy, this guy may, he he may do do bad things, but he ultimately does them for the right reasons. Because like, <laughs> you're sort of balancing. He's smoking a cigarette, but it's the, 
chillax as it were so like for me it kind of feels like a shortcut yeah i mean i got i got from that line in peace i got the sense that actually he's like that it means he's kind of like finally he's he's got a moment to himself right he's going he's he's gone up above the city and he's he's having a fag to like actually just calm down to wind down he's like yeah he's a bit of a he, he he's probably um a little bit of a loner uh, he kind of grudgingly trusts people, but he'll. Yeah, I want. Yeah, it's really interesting. I suppose maybe, for me, I wondered whether, even if we just had a brand of cigarette, maybe that would make the beat a bit more. Over Seattle, he smoked his camel lights. Yeah, well, mate. Yeah, camel, well, exactly. Exa- camel blue. Sorry. Yeah. Well, yes. quite. I was gonna. Say, I was gonna say immediately. It starts. It might be a bit cheesy, but I think my my problem comes just after this because okay. like I feel like. The lights below twinkled patterns, cars with their headlights blaring, blah, 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 like shooting stars. Like first of all, like if they're twinkling patterns and they look like shooting stars, that's two different that's two different images in my head. But it then just basically means that the lights below twinkled patterns means nothing. Like I think it's a useless sentence. It's not really doing anything. I think yeah. The li- so mm, yeah. I, right. So that's interesting. Right. So I feel like I get. I I think the actual image that's been that. Uh, that um that's being shot for here by Camille is is actually a really interesting one which is this idea that the angels I think it's like a nicely implied the angels look down from heaven and the earth is it mirrors the experience of humans looking up to yeah. the hev- heavens to the cosmos right yeah but no we, I like that bit I just think I just don't I don't think it's two sentences no but yeah and, and twinkled patterns is is, is is abominable I think uh, one twinkled isn't a is is a isn't a transitive verb so you it doesn't you don't you can't twinkle something you something can twinkle you can't twinkle a pattern uh so and I know as authors and especially in the literary community it's like it, it's lovely when you get to um, make a verb transitive you may get give it something but I don't think that works there I think that's a failure and secondly patterns is really vague like uh, a picture a pattern there's nothing there it's a it's an abstract con- con- concept so i think for there for me that is a that's a that's an line. i quite liked like shooting stars it's a yeah it is a it's a it's a vague it's a vague simile i suppose it's a mm, but i think i think like if you have him on on a cloud overlooking seattle smoking a cigarette in peace and cars below are like like shooting stars like you said it's like a nice like a weird nice sort of looking into your reflection yeah kind of, kind of. I think that's yeah I, I really like um, yeah I just I just would like I, I love the mention of the I-90 as well we've kind of talked about that before that we liked it being specific I like this I-90 moment um, I just I'm not sure headlights even blare I'm not sure whether they glare or that seems like more of an owl kind of thing. But I, 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 I love... How low is this cloud? That's, yeah, that's the other thing. Because later on it appears that this is actually... This is heaven, right? Like he can hear the heavenly music. So he, they're kind of jokingly lo- locating heaven actually in the clouds. Not like a dimensional thing. It's, it's, actu- it's actually there. Yeah. Maybe on a like another plane so we can't see it but and I, I that confused me slightly yeah I wasn't yeah it's interesting uh, I think it goes I think I liked what it was going for I felt like it doesn't quite hit it 
next bit. So we, now we get introduced to him. Malachi chuckled in God's infinite wisdom. He taught his children to ape the majesty of his hosts. What a pretentious asshole. I mean, we're, set, we're setting the this sort of... Um, is there, is there a word, is there like, you know, anthropomorphization? Is there like a theological version of that where we kind of attribute human characteristics to, to the structure, in, institutional structures of heaven? Because that's sort of what it feels like he's doing there. Um, it reminds, like, it reminds me a lot of um, American gods, but like slightly more screwball that, version of the. That's American. exactly what I was, where I was going for, yeah. Um, which isn't you know which isn't a bad comparison right like it's, i mean shoot for the shooting stars right? yeah yeah twinkle for the patterns <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's yeah it's not although it's worth it's always worth thinking about what is the book that people are going to think of while they're reading your book like if you're if you're writing a sword and sorcery epic be aware that people have read uh, have read Lord of the Rings, right? Like, and they're going to start thinking about that. It doesn't mean you're not allowed to write in tropes that people have already used. Well, that, that's interesting. Sorry to, to, to interrupt, but I'm always quite interested in like when, when people make those comparisons. I think you kind of like a good writer will be like has to be aware of whether they expect their reader to be someone who's really, really versed in the genre that they're writing, or whether this is like you know when people do what 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 writers refer to as genre slumming so like <laughs> oh this is literary fantasy oh I'll, I'll read it then you know so like you know if you're if you're pitching your your piece as like for someone who's literary like someone who reads highbrow bullshit and then is going to read like one fantasy or sci-fi novel a year like then might then i'd go for oh it's howard jacobson in space but, like, <laughs> but if you but you know be aware that if you're writing something for people who are genre literate like to to sell it to people who are genre literate and don't just compare it to lord of the fucking rings yeah i think that, <laughs> don't ever say your book is the next fucking harry potter it, exactly yeah yeah no i was i yeah i think that's true in the sense that they are two different types of literacy aren't they and it's really it you can do some really interesting things when people are super super genre savvy you yeah. can have some real fun with turning those expectations on on their head often stuff can happen quite quickly because um you don't you can just in a couple of sentences so you can go okay this is a vampire you know the rules for vampires so i don't really need to go into it at all we can just start moving with the story it, it, having genre savvy readers if you're pitching for that readership can save you so much time it can be really pithy but you're then excluding another type of reader who maybe doesn't immediately get into that i mean i i, I feel like this is this feel pit this feels like it's going to be pitched towards quite a genre savvy audience yeah, right like fans of neil gaiman terry pratchett douglas adams those uh i've just named like three of the most well known which shows how genre savvy i'm not <laughs> no yeah but i think within the the, the res definitely all people who are very respected within the genre as as, as well like I, I think they've got lots of they've got lots of fans within it. i don't i don't think people have to be you don't have to be too shy about like liking people who've sold sold a lot of books but i i think yeah no i i, I think that is where I, that is to be honest where i'd go is is a bit of neil gaiman in this so i'll move on to the next thing because i'd like to just just very briefly talk about what we think about this introduction of, of Malachi. Um, Malachi had with him a patio sling lawn chair he'd stolen from a Walmart. The wind pulled at Malachi's long wavy mohawk and clinked the buttons on his bomber jacket. Uh, it was perfect except Malachi could hear 
faintly hear dis distant hymns and the twang of angelic harps. The chorus was constant up in heaven. How, how now we're kind of like getting a character, we're getting the beginning of a story. What, is it working for you? Like, I can't work out if the, the, the level of detail is for humour purposes or for specific character, like character characteristic purposes do you, do you know what i mean like if if because they seem quite random yeah and it's also we've got to remember that we're in his perspective and it's like how I'd, i've never had a mohawk so i don't know whether when the wind comes whether you become kind of more aware of that whether it's a hairstyle that you particularly become conscious of in the wind do you know what i mean because these are things that he's it's I a mean, bit if it's done properly then like it's solid right <laughs> you'd have thought an avenging angel could manage to get quite a lot get some hairspray right but, but you know he's, he's stolen a lawn chair so maybe he's broke <laughs> I, don't, I don't know well like actually i just i really liked the that's the detail i really liked um, yeah me too because because that makes me think ah this guy's interesting like yeah I, I would say like maybe the phrasing of it um malachi had with him a patio sling lawn chair he'd stolen from a walmart is he sitting on it because or lying on it or does he just have it is he standing next to it i mean it says had with him is an odd way of phrasing it right if it was like a malachi was reclining or maybe, it, maybe it's flamm it. flammable and he can't smoke the cigarette <laughs> he, he's, he's just brought it up and he's put it there but but it could be uh, it could be relevant if you were say expecting someone and he has like an that could be quite a portentous bit of plot if if he's sitting there and he stood next to an empty lawn chair but i just thought malachi was sat on a I, patio sling lawn chair i mean this this is a thing with first drafts they're very they're really imprecise and i think you know even even the most um seemingly like chaotic prose will be precisely chaotic like i i, I really love that about stand-ups especially people like eddie Izzard, where they're able to reel off a joke seemingly for the first time every single time and it's very practiced and it's very but it's it's careful as well and i think that only comes with doing it again and again and again and honing it down and just waging a war of attrition on your on your text to make sure it is precise because like the detail of the patio sling lawn chair you're right that he'd stolen from walmart is a great is a great aside it's a great character point but like it's let down by the the phrasing the phrasing has to be precise yeah i think and i think eddie izzard is a great example of someone who when he kind of uh, reached the height of his popularity he spawned a load of people who were going around open mics doing thinking that the way to be funny was and I don't blame them because like you see uh, uh, you see someone modeling it really well um is to be sort of discursive and say um all the time and appear to appear to be a bit fuzzy headed and vague on a few things but to no great purpose they just like li literally were that and, and found that that wasn't where the humor was necessarily lying it's just it's really funny when someone appears to be coming up with something off the top of their head it's why you know a great first person narrator who i've just i'm just finishing reading the bartimaeus trilogy which is about a is about demon summoning and some bits are uh in the first person by this demon bartimaeus and he uses footnotes to great effect 
where he'll just kind of apologise for using a crap simile or something like that. And normally you'd go, obviously I wouldn't suggest that people deliberately use crap similes. They'll make your writing That's funny. confidence. Yeah, it is. My God. And sometimes he'll just kind of peter out or he'll just like put a little thing and go, sometimes he'll drop down after he gives a one sentence description of a character and gives you, it goes all right for the completest out, out there. Here's, the, here's exactly what the person was wearing. And then at the describe their whole thing in the footnote, and then at the end go, I'm just going for narrative pace, all right? And it's nice. You go, oh, this is really funny. And and also because the character has a point of view about that, which is just like, they're put upon. They're like, I'm doing my best here. And it's funny. They care about it. This character cares about it, and it's funny. And I think with this, I really like the patio sling lawn chair. That's a really, that's a very specific thing. Walmart is a brand name. It's great. We're like mixing the high and low. You know, Walmart and, and, and lawn chair are as important in this. Walmart and Seattle are as important and are evoked with the same level of rever reverence as Malachi and God. And I think that's, that tells us something about what kind of story we're going to be into. But... Um, the person got a mohawk and a bomber jacket. I just, again, that feels a little bit broad. It feels, you know, like going, ah, oh, so what's what's rebellious? We're going to have our punk smoking a cigarette. And I'm like, okay, I, yeah, I get it, but we've all watched Buffy. We all quite liked Spike as a character, right? We get that. But, oh, you get, that's my, this is my only thing about it, is it's like, I'm not that, you can have, Malachi can have a mohawk and a bomber jacket. I just wonder whether we need to know at this stage about that. It feels a little bit shoehorned in early on. Well, I think I think you can be distinctive about the long wavy hair and the mohawk, the long mohawk, wavy mohawk hair mohawk, and the bomb jacket in the same way that you can be distinctive about a patio sling lawn chair, like a mohawk and a bomber jacket on by themselves. You're you're right. It's sort of identikit punk. Yeah. So what is distinctive, like what would be distinctive about that mohawk would be if it was rainbow coloured? Yeah. Or, yeah, that immediately, that immediately makes it more exciting to me, funnily enough. If the bomber jacket, like, you know, in the same way that he'd stolen a thing from Walmart, maybe the bomber jacket advertised a, a motorbike gang that he belonged to for three weeks oh, in January 2014. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, and then immediately you're going, why did he steal that lawn chair? Why was he in a biker gang for three? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah, yeah, immediately that there's that that's become storied and specific. This, as soon as you make that more specific, so funny that immediately makes me, yeah. You so I think you're absolutely right, and I hundred percent agree. You can own those. You just have to kind of double down on them, right? Yeah. So 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 it doesn't it's it doesn't feel like you've done a trolley dash of what do I think this person looks like? Oh, they're rebellious. They're smoking a cigarette. I guess they look like a punk. That's what it can, and you can have come to it very sincerely, but still stumble into that, uh, those tropes. And I think owning them and like moving into them and being specific, yeah, that would make it uh, uh, much. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, I don't know whether I've been pronouncing this name right. I'm not super great with uh, angel names, but um, Maro Marowell or it probably is L. I guess L is that little suffix that means God, right? So. Marrow, I don't know what Marrow means. I'm guessing now. But he heard the shuffling feet behind him and turned to see Marrowell the compliant. Marrowell was short for an angel. Um, his voice was high-pitched and really, di which disqualified him from the angelic chorus. He'd never had much of a handle on wielding divine wrath, etc. <laughs> so I'm skipping ahead, but I completely missed the... <laughs> the 
the detail that he was the compliant because like where have you been we've been looking all over from you where's your halo it's not very compliant is, <laughs> is it um well, I didn't know whether that um, uh, little soubriquet applied to him was his official title or whether it's one that's been stuck on him by Mal- whether that's Malachi's voice in this third person narration kind of whether whether Malachi considers him the uh, compliant. You see, this this paragraph I think is kind of where like the universe building is is for intents and purposes really good like it really sets up like the parameters that we're kind of dealing with and um if yeah the the details here feel a lot more pointed and and useful um do you know what i mean yeah i think so i think i like i mean marowell was short for for an angel i suppose at this stage i don't know what i don't know how high an angel is so i don't that qualifier it doesn't is sort of slightly uh, through me in a way it seems to give with one hand and take away with the other because he was short for an for an angel does that, does that make him average sized i don't know so that didn't really locate I mean, him if angels or the average size of angels was short shorter than the average size of humans that'd be quite yeah. interesting <laughs> it suddenly makes it a, a lot weirder exactly <laughs> I, I just i'd love that to be I, I would, you know, I'd, I'd just maybe as with using the lawn chair as a frame of reference, but um, I, I would, I'd love to know that his voice was high pitched and reedy. He never had, so, yeah. I mean, I where have you been, shrilled Marowell? I yeah, I wasn't sure whether they were kind of setting him up as, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure whether I'm not sure how I feel about him having essentially be, it being implied he has he has a high pitched voice. And that making him, that making him weed, weedy and impotent. I, I would, I would maybe I would like that to be doubled down on slightly a bit more than that being clearly Malachi's uh, POV because it felt a little bit like you're going. Here comes, here comes some comic relief. We know he's contemptible and weak because he's got a slightly feminine voice. I was like, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to just find problematic stuff for the sake of it, but I would at least like it to be clear that this is Malachi going, oh God, this guy again. And actually a lot of that being a, a reflection of his irritation at being summoned rather than it just feeling like this thing that's floating in the text that isn't completely like that's that's I guess that was the only little alarm bell that was ringing for me I, I was like I think I think you can earn it with a bit more detail on Malachi in the in the paragraph beforehand you know mm. if he, if if he's gr- like if he's sort of because in, in my head he's like I don't know Russell Crowe like monosyllabic like gruff twat kind of guy or um, so like yeah if you kind of set up like a little bit more of his physical presence a bit more like than just long wavy mohawk yeah this is like where like the army come to like the little village where rambo is sort of working as a wheelwright and say we need you to come back for one last job and he's like i don't i don't do that anymore this is like i well i might i mean although i i imagine if he's still over the city that he's still working but yeah um and uh, yeah and just this last line i know we've kind of we kind of started because it really made you laugh at the beginning, but this at the end, Marowell began to hyperventilate. God has an important message for you. Tell him I said no. Uh, 
What, 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 do you th- what do you think of that as going to be the end of the first page? If it was a bit of flash fiction, I would love it. <laughs> it's, it's just like a good, like, it feels like a Simpson-style kiss-off line, like a pastiche kiss-off line, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. traffic was a bitch, that, 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 that kind of thing. You know? Yeah, I kind of, like, yeah, I did, I mean, I did, I, I did, I did. It's I quite Statham. Like yeah, yeah, it, yeah, actually. That's that's now who I'm. That's who I'm picturing Stay as the character with the long wavy mohawk <laughs> with a rainbow mohawk. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah. I um, mean, can I can I option the film rights right, yeah. now, right now? I'm I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure that they if they haven't gone already, then they will be snapped up. No, I like, but overall, actually, I, and that's what I would say. I do feel that like this is quite visual, and I do get a sense of it. I get a sense of what I'm in for with this story. Yeah. Which is not. I don't don't get to the end of this and go. I've got no idea who the main characters are. What the story is going to be about. There's some pr- clear promises made here, right? Yeah, and there's like there is a good comedic tone. Like I think I think the thing with the thing with comedy is um, you have to keep refining it and refining it until you find the best joke or the find the best iteration. Which is why, like, patio sling lawn chair stolen from Walmart works because it feels like that was probably version five, where yeah. like it's that level of detail that makes it slightly absurd like and you know if you can just retain that level all the way through you kind of like and also i i also liked i tossed it into a crater on ganymede as well i just i thought i love that line as well yeah you know it's these little very specific like universe building lines that kind of show the absurdity of the universe but also show the potential parameters of yeah, it well. te- yeah they are teaching us the rules of it and that's exactly like you were that's exactly that's exactly that lovely thing of like you were saying with the bom- bomber jacket if we had a little bit more uh, specificity on it it would immediately start implying stories I think that little th- a little throwaway line that implies a whole anecdote a whole story and, a- and starts teaching us the world is lovely and rich and, and people you-, you start you lap that up as a reader on a first page that level of detail because you're like what Oh, that can all right. So they can go. They can go to other planets. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay, right. Okay. That that tells me something about the world. I'm learning something. This tells me about the. Why yeah. has he chosen Seattle? It makes me think. Do you know what I mean? Versus versus Ganymede. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That and that's. So I suppose that's a really good sign, right? That we're kind of. I would definitely. I definitely read on. I think, but maybe and, like you said, this is a, this is a drafting thing, going back through it. It's about refining some of those details not to make it you've got to pick your battles obviously you could detail everything to death and just sound like this obsessive kind of we would never get anywhere because you'd be you'd be we're not asking you to document every single button on his shirt but um just making those beats feel specific and idiosyncratic especially with comedy and like so I know it's a bit of a wanky name drop, sorry, but I, I go for it. I, I did a, I did, I was in a conversation with George Saunders once, the amazing writer George Saunders. He told me the best editing trick ever, and he said, "Take the sentence." Um, David walked into the room and sat on the blue sofa. Okay, first of all, do we need to have David walking into the room? Can he just not already be in the room? Okay, David was in the room and he sat on the blue sofa. Well, we don't need to say he was already in the room. David sat on the blue sofa. Okay, d- does it matter to the plot that the sofa is blue? Um, no, okay, so David sat on the sofa. Could he not already just be sitting on the sofa? So David was on the sofa. 
do we even need the sentence at this point? <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah, yeah. That's really, I, I, yeah. Actually, that and I mean that obviously for someone who works in the short story genre primarily, um, you know that ability to like actually boil something down to its essence and get to the beats that actually where something delicious and specific and crunchy is happening. Um, that that's where the kind of magic happens, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, thanks uh, very much for um, going through that uh, with me. Thank you, um, and thank you for listening, uh, if you're still here. Um, if you'd like to submit your work for the show, just go onto my website, timclairpoet.co.uk. If you look in the show notes to this episode, you'll not only find a transcript of the piece we've just talked through, but you can also um, click on the right-hand side, and there's a little contact me button. If you do that, you can send me your work. We're looking for a um, first page of no more than 250 words with your name and a title in the body of the email. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, I hope you have a very nice week.